Welcome to the Savage Beast Podcast. Uh, I'm Joe Gallagher. Uh, with me, as always, is Paul McLeod. Hello, I'm here. And tonight, we have a special guest all the way from Brooklyn, New York, Mr. Taylor Sean. Good evening. Ta- Taylor. Yes. Taylor. Yeah. Taylor is another one of our high school friends. We're keeping this podcast um, thoroughly as incestuous and nostalgic. Yes, exactly. Yes, it's going to be a hot, it- incestuous three-way. Because that's what high school friends are, are people who have sex. <laughs> oh, uh, great start. Great start. <laughs> it's going well already. Yeah. Um, Taylor's here um, tonight to talk about movie soundtracks from the 90s, which is, is his true. specialty. This is true. Yeah. Taylor, Taylor's, uh, would you call yourself a semi-professional film critic? Not, not even that, but... Um, <laughs> On the other hand, I, I have been published in multiple formats, all of them ridiculous, but nevertheless published. So there you go. Yeah. There you go. That's what I'm saying. That's what I was referring to. Orlando Sentinel, baby. Yeah. Can't touch this. You're definitely not the worst critic to ever appear in the Orlando Sentinel. It's <laughs> God, that's so un- true. That's so <laughs> true. Uh, I should also say uh, it's one in the morning where I am. Um, my nine-month-old is sleeping, and I'm on, like, bourbon number two. So Yeah. Excellent. Two seems low. Yeah, bourbon number five is the one I'm waiting for. Yes. Yeah, but two. I mean, Paul, you're a you're a father of many. Um, two oh. at this point in the game is like six, kind of. Yeah, that's true, especially with a baby, which is high energy. Um, all right. Well, before we get into movie soundtracks, I'm going to tell my story from the uh, the prophesied Vince Staples concert. Yes. Which I intended last night. So um, I went. With my little brother Andrew, who uh, whom I've mentioned on this podcast before, <clears throat> and um, it's this like uh, tiny little venue I've never been to before. That uh, I'm guessing it was once a uh, you know car repair garage would be my guess. Uh-huh. Nice. But anyway, you know it's got a bar separated from the performance area by a high chain link fence, um, and uh, you walk in and it reeks of marijuana as any good hip hop show should. Mm-hmm. Of course. Yeah. So anyway, um, I, uh, my, we got there while some local DJ was opening still. And, uh, we decided to chill on the patio area, uh, with a beer and, uh, have a cigarette and actually to be honest, not just a cigarette, but a spliff. Um, and so, uh, Savage Beast podcast does not condone the use of drugs. Yeah, or at least not no. admitting to it. Good lord. Well, <laughs> yeah, I know you're a lawyer. Um, whatever. This is, <laughs> this, it's, this is podcasts are not admissible. Yeah, yeah, they well, are. But uh, just just go on, go on. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> if they want to come at me for this, please. Um, anyway, so uh, I finished up the beer. My brother and I shared the spliff. Got done right about uh, with both right at the same time. I didn't really feel anything, and then all of a sudden, I started to feel like really dizzy and crazy. So I stumbled over to a chair. I sat down. Um, I was my hearing started to go out into uh, to the point that I it, it was like everything was coming through underwater, and I had a ringing in my ears. My brother went to go get me water. That took like five minutes. I slowly started to feel a little better. And I was like, man, I just, I think I just really need to take a shit. That's my problem. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I was feeling a lot better by this point. 
I get up. My brother comes back. He gives me the water. I get up and I walk and about <laughs> 10 feet into the walk, I'm like, oh, fuck, I'm blocking out. Um, so like, <laughs> the light left my eyes. I remember <laughs> the side of my head hitting the ground. <laughs> and um, <laughs> now you're dead. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this story's from Beyond the Grave. No, um, I vaguely remember my brother being like, uh, he just had to lie down or something, explaining to somebody else, and then like lugging me back to the table. Good thing your brother That's is a, a giant. Yeah, my brother is six foot five and, and sturdy. Um, so uh, he lugs me back to the table. I don't remember anything from this point, but apparently he got me onto a chair. This is like a bar height chair. And then at that point, I just actually passed out dead weight all the way just against him. Wow. So he's like half holding me up. Um, and security comes up. And apparently this is all, you know, hearsay at this point. Um, is, uh, asking, uh, you know, what's going on? And he's like, you know, just trying to be honest, like, I don't know. My brother just is, uh, you know, fainted. (laughs) So they're like, uh, okay, he's done. So they lug me out of there. My brother with my legs, the bouncer with my arms, apparently I woke up as they were setting me down on the sidewalk outside the venue and started sweating like profusely, Uh um, which actually felt really good. Um, and so... Yeah, from that point on, I actually uh, recovered over the next like 20 to 30 minutes and was fine after that and actually was able to talk to the bouncer and get back in. But unfortunately, this had all started happening like exactly when Vince Staples was coming on. So I missed like the first half of his set. But on the positive uh, note, you're not dead. So Yeah, this was bizarre. This had never, ever happened to me before that I just randomly fainted after one beer and a little bit of weed. I ate dinner and everything. I drank water earlier. I had worked out earlier in the evening, but oh. I, uh, but I, that could, you know, that could I do, do that all, Yeah. But I, I do that all the time after working out later in the evening. And again, I ate a f- full solid meal of macaroni and cheese. There I mean, was like I nothing mean, wrong. Paul, as, as you're not an attorney, yeah. I would just say, was it dusted? I mean, no, this was uh, <laughs> purchased from a Colorado dispensary weed that I had smoked before. Ah. Um, yeah. Then I have no answer for you. That's truly bizarre. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've, I know. I mean, I've, I have uh, blacked out at a concert before, uh, although it was near the end. And, yeah. Uh, this one had not even begun. Yeah. Sometimes it just <laughs> happens. Yeah. Um, it just comes. Truly bizarre. It comes upon you. Yeah. Anyway, so we got to uh, the entertainment for the first half of the concert was, you know, hearing the muffled but still very loud uh, music from inside, which was awesome, and uh, seeing the various scumbags who get thrown out of concerts uh, like you. was also entertaining. Yeah, uh, I was but the first and the, the most well-behaved in that I was actually unconscious. Um, the other guys were people who were getting into fights for no apparent reason and getting uh, thrown out to the curb. And the bouncers are actually pretty cool to all of them. But, uh, uh, you know, it's always fun to watch a moron rant and rave about how unfair his treatment is. Um, and, uh, yeah, I eventually got back in and saw the end of the show. And it was pretty awesome. It's just Vince and his, like, DJ uh, backup rapper buddy. And the DJ backup rapper is actually pretty impressive because he was doing actual turntable DJism and rapping pretty much the whole time. Nice. Um, yeah. And, uh, 
Uh, I don't have much to say except that Vince Staples is cool live. He does his songs that you know from the album and uh, does he actually raps them, not like some rappers I've seen. He's just sort of lips sync or, or just rap over their pre-recorded lines and sync along with them. So, uh, yeah, go see him if he's in your area. And apparently his, uh, his uh, backup DJ's name is Westside Ty. <laughs> Any relation to the other Ty we know? Well, I mean, we know the East Side tie, so uh, I mean, so, I you know, West Side. Tie. <laughs> that is, we know by far the less cool tie. I have to say, uh, nothing wrong with tie. I mean, uh, yeah, but perhaps the more West Side amusing, tie is just really cool. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I agree. Um, well, Paul, it's uh, stay hydrated. Yeah. Uh, so you can. Um, uh, next time you you might not be as lucky. I don't know. Yeah. So I'm trying to. By the way, a... random uh, criminal law <laughs> trivia: we love uh-huh. bouncers as witnesses because they're almost always sober, and they uh-huh. can say it's their job to observe things, and people believe that. Because why would? Yeah. They? Unless they well, unless might... they see something bad for your client, then we just don't call them. But in general, yeah. they make very good witnesses. They were, uh, that is good to know. They were actually, the ones at this club were chill and fair, I would say. Um, the fact that they let me back in at all is actually pretty cool. Um, I was fine, but, you know, there's obviously a incentive on their part to err I, on the side of caution, so I that was cool. Well, almost every bouncer is, like, is very cool if you're cool to them, you know? Yeah. It's only if you start being a dick or crazy yeah. that then, you know, the uh, their mean side is activated. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, they don't want instigators in that job because, unlike the cops, they have to live in the uh, in the neighborhood <laughs> that they're policing. Oh, let's just move just on. True. That's just true. Yeah. Um. Uh. Okay. So uh, we're gonna skip all other music news today because Taylor has a lot, and I mean a lot, he needs to say about '90s soundtracks, and uh, Paul and I are just gonna try and keep up. Um, Taylor, do you have an opening, uh, opening remarks about movie soundtracks in the nineties? All right. Yes. All right. So for those of you out there who are not people who just know who we are and hopefully eventually, if that's not true already, it will be true. Uh, you should know that these two fine gentlemen, when you talk about keeping Uh up, um, that was a daunting prospect when music was not your first love in, uh, in high school, which it was not for me. I love music, but I was, I would say movies first, video games second, and music was maybe third. And so there was a lot of me being like, yeah, that's cool. Sure. And it's not that I didn't agree. It's just, I didn't know what I was talking about. And it was just super hard to keep up. And what was nice, and I, I honestly don't know if it's as true now. It's I don't actually know. I know it's not true now. It may have been true in the 2000s, and I was just too you know in college to care. But in the 90s, there was such a thing that you know if you loved a movie and it was a cool movie, you could get the soundtrack. And if one of those bands happened to line up with what your friends were talking about, that's an access point. That's a way to be like, oh, yeah, I heard that song because it was on this. You should really listen to this. It's cool. It partners with the movie. And whether or not that was true, it was a way to keep up. Mm-hmm. And so 
when I first pitched this to you guys and you were like, great, but you got to narrow it down. At first it was sort of like, how the hell do I do that? There's so many. And then, and which is the true, um, that is the biggest link to music fans is to be like, I can't pick. There's just too many. Um, but we have narrowed it down to, I'm calling it four. That's not technically true because one of them is two different, uh, movies and we're going to get to those last, but they, they're kind of of the same monster. Um, Mm -hmm. so I'm really considering it four. And we also, in narrowing it down, we're leaving off very good um, soundtracks that are not only they compilations of songs that had already been released, but more importantly, it soundtracks that took songs from the past and made them relevant again. So in other words, you're not going to hear Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, Rushmore, uh, to a lesser extent, Forrest Gump, which is one of the best-selling soundtracks of all time, and it really is just the greatest hits of 60s and 70s compilations. But the point is, you're not going to hear uh, any of them because we're we're not going there. We're going... Of the soundtracks listed, they're almost all original material. There's one exception, but even that was all songs that were plucked from obscurity um, only four years before, as opposed to, like, 20 years before. And, All right. the, and that's yeah. basically the opening statement. I love I love that Forrest yeah. Gump soundtrack. I think that's how I first got into both Bob Dylan and Buffalo Springfield. Ah. There's nothing uh, wrong with it. It's just it's just more as time goes. It's the same thing. Like Forrest Gump, like, oh yeah, you love that movie as a kid. And then later on you're like, oh, there's a Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so even though that soundtrack is a compilation of very good songs, it's just the most obvious choices again and again and again. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I should also uh, say that the soundtracks we're talking about, and then I'll shut up, uh, except not. Uh, the soundtracks we're talking <laughs> about, um, none of them are in the top 10 of all time. They're not even in the top. I, actually, one of them's in the top 20, and the rest of them are all just way down the list. And when I say that, like, I mean sales. Uh, What's number one? Is it Titanic? Uh, Titanic is number two. Oh, okay. Uh, anyone want to hazard a guess? Oh, number, number one. one. Uh, it's please. It's going to be obvious. Yeah, it is. Oh, is it Beaches? It is now. Beaches is not even in the top fifty. Wow! Is it? Oh, is it the bodyguard? Yes. Yeah. There you oh, go. yeah, yeah. So yeah. the top five, yeah. the top five: Bodyguard, Titanic, Lion King, City of Angels, Waiting to Exhale. Oh, I own. Uh, I own this. I owned the City of Angels soundtrack. Is that the one that has the the Goo Goo Dolls song? Yes. Yeah. And the, Red yes. Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah. Yes. It also um, has a it has a U two song on it that I really like. Um. That, yeah. So this is here we go. We're getting getting too yeah. deep into it. I I would just like yeah, to yeah. point out that of those five, um, one of them is truly a relic of the CD era because the Titanic soundtrack is one song and all score, and everyone bought that soundtrack for the one song. Wow. I had a copy. Right. Uh, I uh. That was like the last time I thought that like a big diva ballad was cool for some reason before like, I don't know, I grew pubes and moved past that phase. That's fair. Yeah, that's why I owned the Beaches soundtrack. Everyone's oh, got yeah. one. I know, right? It's, <laughs> it's disturbing, but I just, yeah. All right. <laughs> um, just, we, all, we all got really <laughs> uncomfortable with that. <laughs> uh, um, so... Uh, we're going into the Lost Highway soundtrack. Is there anything you'd like to say about this as a whole, Taylor? Um, I think it's objectively the best out of all the ones we're going to talk about. I all right. I think this was the hardest to pick only, I mean, four, which is still a lot, but it was the hardest to pick because there's so many good parts. I feel like they're all of one. 
it's weird. It's weird for me to talk about this soundtrack because it's such a good soundtrack for a movie that I don't think works at all. And mm-hmm. I am a David Lynch fan, but I just feel like Lost Highway, it, it is just literally a long road to nowhere. But man, this soundtrack is so good. Um, and it is the lowest selling of the five we'll be talking about. It's still a gold mm-hmm. record, but the lowest selling. And uh, Man. we should say uh, the opening track is fr- was from this uh, soundtrack. Yeah. Yes. David Bowie, yeah. I'm deranged. Yes. Um, yeah. Can you believe that the 90s were a time when the uh, soundtrack of an obscure art film would go gold? <laughs> that it, is it, strange. Yes. But I think mainly not only because it was good, but also because it was a big deal. that tra- It was the first time Trent Reznor's like, I'm producing a soundtrack. Ah, uh, yeah. Which is now kind of his thing. Yes, um, Academy right. Award winning soundtrack composer. Yeah. So, shall we play another song from this one? Oh, please do. I got my head, but my head is unraveling. Can't keep control, can't keep track of where it's traveling. I got my heart, but no good, and you're the only one that's understood. I come along, but I don't know where you're taking me. I shouldn't go, but you're wrenching, dragging, shaking me. Turn off the sun, pull the stars from the sky. The more I um, so that was obviously the perfect drug by Nine Inch Nails. Uh, I one of the um probably my favorite Nine Inch Nails song, and just really fucking cool song. Um, so this song, not only do I love it, it is easily, I agree, my favorite Nine Inch Nails song, but that song motivated me to buy their next album, which was a double CD called, I think, The Fragile. <laughs> yes. And it yes. was one of the worst pieces of garbage I have ever heard. <laughs> um, and I do mean that because we're, we're an album we're going to talk about later, which is All Electronica, which I love, uh, The Fragile was awful. And in doing research for this sh- for this show, I think I figured out why... There is this disconnect. Um, there is some BBC interview with Trent Reznor where they say, is there anything you're not proud of? And he goes, yeah, there's this song, The Perfect Drug. I, I recorded it in a week. I'm not happy with the video. I don't think I hate it. It's just like, if you ask me to say what's the top 100 songs I'm involved with, it wouldn't make the list. So clearly <laughs> what he thinks is bad, I think is good. Um, and Canada agrees with me because this is so random. It is the single most successful single in Canada ever. It was on the charts really? in Canada for 208 weeks. Canada? Canada. Wow. 208 weeks? Four years? An even four years? And that's the second weirdest thing I found out in doing research tonight. You're about to hear the weirdest. But yes. Um, so Perfect okay. Drug, it's a fantastic song. It goes through all these different modes. It inspires all these images. And Trent Reznor's like, yeah, eh. That's funny. <laughs> so there um, you go. How much do you guys like... Nine Inch Nails generally, because I have to confess, I've never actually been that much of a fan of industrial music generally. Um, I don't dislike Nine Inch Nails, but... I mean, people have kind of talked me into them, uh, in like kind of back into them in my adulthood. Uh, Like the song Hurt is pretty good, pretty damn good. Uh, But I've never... Yeah, I just they did, they never vibe with either my weird indie rock taste or my like mainstream uh, alternative rock taste, except for this song. I yeah. ca- I kind of get the sense that what it is is that 
he is so good at recognizing other talent and developing it or working on other people's projects. Because, I mean, his score for both all the new David Fincher films, but specifically Social Network, is fantastic. And the fact that he develops other artists and everything, and I think that makes me keep thinking, oh yeah, I love Nine Inch Nails. And I don't. I just really love what he does with other people and this song. That's yeah. basically it. Okay. Um, we are in agreement. Nine Inch Nails. Hmm. Um... <laughs> Other songs on this soundtrack, uh, Taylor, any others you wanted to discuss from e- it? Yes, too quickly. Um, I, by the Smashing Pumpkins, which we're only going to talk about briefly because there's other Smashing Pumpkins songs to come, and this podcast already has a bias. Um, so, so this is, we're front-loading the uh, insane trivia here. But, mm-hmm. so I did some research, and apparently, so after Melancholy, mm-hmm. um, Billy's music publisher, I can call him Billy, you know, uh-huh. hey Billy, uh, suggested he collaborate with none other than Shaq on <laughs> something called "You Can't Stop the Rain," and that's not rain as in weather, as in more as in King. Um, uh-huh. And apparently, Billy said okay, so he began working yeah. on a programming-based track, but the collaboration fell through. And then he was approached <laughs> to do a song for the soundtrack. He did a song called "Tear," which I believe ended up on a door. Tear, yes, tear. tear. I'm sorry. Ugh. Yeah, all the research in the world. <laughs> yeah, see, see, this well, is what it's you like. Can listen to the song right back. back say the word school. tear. Uh, t- see what I mean? It's, it's pronounced tear. And this is yeah. We we. To be fair, the chorus is "Tear me apart," so you would know if you <laughs> saw. Paul, I appreciate the defense, but clearly, I don't know what I'm talking about. But in this case, "Tear" was rejected by David Lynch, and so Billy Corgan was like, "Well, I got this other thing. I'll finish it." And he finished "I," and Lynch is like, "I love it. Put it in it." Um, so, yeah. but for his publisher saying, Hey, you should work with Shaq. There would be no track called I. Well, it's a great track. So I'm glad his publisher had that completely <laughs> harebrained ass idea. Um, and, uh, and it's a re- yeah, I is, uh, one of the more fascinating, uh, and successful, uh, entries into the electric electronic, uh, music portion of the Smashing Pumpkins catalog. Um, yeah. And, and the uh, use of the song in the film is one of the few times that the movie works. It's in a nightclub scene that's very... Uh, Lost Highway is just a lot of scenes that are cool, and then nothing in the middle connects in any way. And I know that's David Lynch, but in Mulholland Drive, he pulled it off. In Twin Peaks, he pulls it off. And in Lost Highway, you're just like, what is happening? This makes no sense. Yeah. Oh, uh, well. All right. Uh, and then another song you wanted to discuss, I believe, was uh, Marilyn Manson's I Put a Spell on You, which... Um, I didn't actually listen to that in preparation for this, but I love the original, so I will do that. It is um, the the, well, the weird thing is that there is an original, air quotes original Marilyn Manson song on the soundtrack called "Apple of the Sodom," and it's fine. Hmm. But his cover of "I Put a Spell on You," which apparently is on one of his earlier albums, again, I only know soundtracks until like I got to college. But it's just so much better. It fits the film so well. It's it's the best example of what a cover can be, and that it it doesn't delete anything from the original material, but just takes it in really amazing ways and just provokes this imagery um, that was used to very good effect in the Cabin in the Woods trailer. Um, If you ever get a chance to just YouTube that, they use that song perfectly, and it just makes the whole thing a lot creepier. Oh, okay. Yeah, maybe I have seen that. Um, uh, Can I just say, this, this soundtrack uh, might be the one that like all three of us were or would have been very like very into in high school 
I think we were. I didn't actually listen to it. Oh, son uh, of a bitch. But, but you would have. Sorry. You would have. Yeah. <laughs> no, I do like all the songs that we've uh, discussed so far. They're good. And the score, uh, the score parts as well, just it all flows together. You can listen to the whole thing, and it's like a really cool, I don't know, Halloween night or long dark night of the soul mood music. It's, you know. Yeah. That's pretty cool. All right. Next on the list, we have the Matrix soundtrack. Yes. <laughs> Which was a landmark. Our buddy Phil is just pumping his fist right now. <laughs> oh. I thought you were going to say it was pumping something else. Oh, well, that's... It, it, it can be yeah. both. It can be both. Yeah, I mean, it, that, that with a closed fist. Yeah. So the Matrix soundtrack is... It, it did go platinum along with uh, two of the other ones we're going to talk about tonight. Um, it is almost all electronica or not... Would you call Rage Against the Machine hard rock? I don't know how to classify it. It feels oh, like yeah. more than... All right, so hard rock. There we go. Um, but the songs it's, are particular it's just it's oh. all music that um that like people imagine cool hackers listen to in hacker nightclubs <laughs> it's yes. all music that dorky goths listen to in dorky basements there you go that may be but you can't take away from the fact that not only did the movie and the sound like it all worked even if it's all bullshit like it all the illusion was complete it's something the movie hackers did not pull off despite having <laughs> you know well, yeah, not- well, I didn't mean to imply that that made the music bad. Uh, goths can like good music, too. I'm just saying. Yes. That movie was uh, about heroizing the goth aesthetic, and uh, it did the same thing with the, it, the the soundtrack follows suit, is all I'm saying. And then the sequels happened, but yes. Um, <laughs> now, the first song listed, I'm not sure which one we're going to play, but the first song listed, um, Spy Break, is from a band called uh, Propeller Heads, who I have a very mm-hmm. soft spot for. They only released one goddamn album, and then they they didn't quite break up, but they're like, oh, we're taking a break, and then they never got back together, so that's breaking up. Um, really? That was just that one album? That's it. I actually had that album because of the soundtrack. That's it. And it's a fantastic, fantastic album. There's a great James Bond tribute song. Uh, there's a song yeah. called Bang On that is just... Uh, it was used to very ill effect in the movie Lost in Space, but it's still a great song despite that. Um, but the song everyone knows is Spy Break. It's the, um, the hallway yeah, yeah. So shootout. If you've, if you've seen the movie, then you know this song because it was instantly captivating as soon as it came on in the movie the first time I saw it, even though I'd never heard of this band or the song. Uh, um, should we play it? We could play this one? Sure. All right. Sure. Yeah. When you, as soon as you hear it, people, you'll imagine guns going off. song is exceedingly well produced and recorded it just kicks ass it sounds so good um i probably have never listened to it like on good headphones because i have like always just seen it in the movies and uh yeah they were really good at what they did and it's um so 
two things. One, you know you've achieved something when everyone either just keeps using it or rips you off. And that song was either used in films or commercials or just they did a generic version of it for, I think, like five years, I feel like. Maybe three. But like you just kept hearing it because everyone remembered that song in that moment. Yeah, it was really just instantly perfect the moment you saw it happen it was like oh yes this is this is exactly the way that i mean first of all it's a great shootout sequence anyway and the music just totally uh uh makes love to the film as it's happening it's a great great song to uh shoot at people with an obscene amount of machine guns too uh and debris flying yes. through the air yes. absolutely if you're if you ever find yourself in that situation, you know it's good to know uh, that you know the right the right song. The for right it. song to put on your Bluetooth speaker. So the one the one sin the Propellerheads may be guilty of, other than breaking up, is they they made such great stuff they just couldn't stop. And by that I mean the song just keeps going. Not on the Matrix soundtrack. It, it's literally called Spy Break right. short version, but on the album it's long version and they just add three minutes and it's still very well produced but eh, it goes on a bit it goes on <laughs> i actually agree i remember thinking that when i bought this album specifically because i loved that song so much and thinking like well i uh, thought the seven minute version would be cooler but it's not and that is something i'm not sure if we'll get to play them but something that i actually as much as i love propeller heads the other two songs i wanted to highlight they do have peaks and valleys in a way that Spy Break does not. Mm-hmm. Uh, Club to Death. This songs being. Club yeah. to Death and Leave You Far Behind. Now, you're not going to recognize the names. You're going to be like, eh? But Club to Death is the song played in the Woman in the Red Dress sequence in the film. And yeah, to me, it's really like, I don't know why, but that, that song represents the Matrix soundtrack to me, just because that, that's sort of like driving techno beat. Yeah. And I mean, you want to talk about goths trying to look cool. It's not Spy Break. It's that song. Because the whole point is like, it's film noir, but it's techno. And it's it's one of the more interesting scenes, I think, in the movie where um, Lawrence Fishburne's talking to Keanu. He gets distracted. And then he says, so were you talking to me? Or are you looking at the woman in the red dress? Turns around and Agent Smith is pointing at a gun at him and everything stops. Yeah. dynamite drop in there paul (laughs) um and (laughs) jesus uh also uh that song that we just spoke about club to death was apparently composed for a movie of the same name literally club to death in 1995 and then i think the wakoskis just were like eh we're just gonna pluck it from obscurity in 1999 no worries uh what was the movie Club to Death about? I, I, Seals I you know, I only had so much time to research. And uh, the that film, seemed interesting enough. And the film concerns <laughs> a love triangle that forms between 20-year-old Lola and the couple she encounters at an all-night rave. It's French. Wait, you, it's French. You, did you seriously look that up just now? Yeah, it was on the Matrix soundtrack page, uh, page on Wikipedia. Oh. It only took two clicks. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, that, was just, that was just very speedy. You really pulled that up quickly. I'm ready to go here. All right. And the last the last one um, is called Leave You Far Behind um, by the band Lunatic Calm. And ag- again, you're not going to recognize the, the name, but you'll, the instant you hear it, you'll recognize it from the scene where uh, Keanu says, I know Kung Fu, show me. Uh, and it's for that, that whole fight sequence song. Does that mo- does that scene hold up? This this movie still holds up. We, we acknowledge the second two are just utter hot, like just 
dumpster I, fires, but this, this I have never rewatched the second two since they were in the theater. But this movie holds up, right? Yes. I saw bits of it on TV recently and less well than I expected it to, but not horrible. I think the ideas are still very solid, but part of the issue with that movie is that the effects blew you away and now they're those effects are very commonplace and so I yeah. wonder how much there's a lot of like, oh, look at this. And you're like, yeah, I, I know. I've seen it. I, I like yeah. to imagine that like 15-year-old boys in the future will still get the same kick out of it that we did. Um, yeah. You know. We were 17, but still. You know what I Yeah. <laughs> oh, one last little weird. Yeah. Weird. Uh, oh, go uh, ahead. Sorry. Bit about this last song, Leave You Far Behind. The Wikipedia page, I've never seen this before. Where they're like, yeah, this is the page, but uh, we don't know. And it's not the thing like things might be wrong, but but there was just this very weird ambiguous note. And I think it's because it's clearly written by either someone in the band or someone very bitter because the entire mm. thing is like, and then they released this album, which didn't get any support. And that's why no one listened to it. <laughs> like the whole thing has this just tone of like, you sons of bitches. <laughs> Wait, if you... That's Wait, Luna- obscure band Wikipedia is usually written by publicists, in my experience. Oh yeah, uh, uh, or by or by a member of the band themselves. Well, in yeah. this case, it's either a member of the band who was fired or a diehard. I don't know. Lunatic Calm. Look it up. It's a very. I mean, it's not obvious, but there's just some some stuff in there where it's like this doesn't feel objective. This feels angry. That's <laughs> that's the rage of Wikipedia. Indeed. Excellent. I'll look into that. Um, All right. You won't. Any other thoughts? You won't look into it. I will. I want to see this guy's uh, rant about Lunatic Calm on Wikipedia. <laughs> don't, tell, don't call me a liar. I'm looking it up right now. I'm going to read the whole thing. That's going to be the rest of this fucking podcast. <laughs> uh, no, we're, we're, uh, we're kind of, we've already said too much. <laughs> let's, let's just move yeah. on. Okay. Well, Romeo and Juliet is our next soundtrack. And this is an excellent fucking soundtrack. Yes. So good. Yes. Uh, despite what Entertainment Weekly may think, who gave it a C plus, um, they were wrong. <laughs> Fuck you, Entertainment Weekly. <laughs> Fuck God. you. Uh, the highest selling soundtrack of all the ones we're talking about tonight. Three million copies. Uh, just US. Internationally, I think it did even better. Wow. Mm. So I'm not sure which... I, I would rather you not play the, um, the Everclear song, but I do have an Everclear story. Okay. Sure. So about- one of one of the songs on the soundtrack, not my favorite at all, uh, is called "Local God." I know Paul, you like it. We'll get to the song in a moment. But two yeah. years ago, I had the um, dubious pleasure of getting free. T- and uh, when I say that, I'm not insulting this person. Maybe listening to the podcast because I'm going to put this on Facebook later. I really love the fact that you got me free tickets to this Summerland concert. It was just a, a uniquely, interestingly depressing experience. And what I mean by that is that it was about two years ago, two or three years ago, and it was an Everclear-produced tour of other 90s bands, which seems like, oh, that's a great idea. So it was Space Hog, Eve Six, Soul Asylum, and Final Final Bill, Everclear. Oh, my God. And it yeah. was in New York City, Irving Plaza, and we had access to, like, the upper deck, like, industry people section <laughs> So we, we didn't have to be with the plebs uh, in the bottom. It does sound like a good show for an upper decker. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> yes. So many tall boys were consumed uh, that evening. So we missed Space Hog, and I, I have no idea if they were good or bad. Oh. The, show, the show actually started on time, which we weren't oh, expecting. Oh, that's crazy. See, I bet I feel like the only highlight of that show would have been Space Hog playing an 11-minute version of In the Meantime. 
Wait, wait. You people have heard of this band Space Hog? Paul, I thought you, that was a made-up You band. must know the song in the meantime. That is like a classic. It might be the best 90s one-hit wonder song, like 90s alternative rock one-hit wonder I, Maybe I would know I would it if I heard it, but I don't know the name or the or the song by just Above by name. it all, it's just like that would you. Be, uh, that would be an it's excellent... It's just like you. <laughs> that would be an excellent podcast. Uh, one-hit 90 wonders. That'd be great. Um, yeah. So, but, but I'm not indicting Space Hog in this thing i didn't see them who knows uh eve six came on next and i guess they were the best in the sense they were like we're we're surprised that we're here as you are like we're just gonna do some songs (laughs) like we don't know um so they were fine i'm glad i'm really glad that ups let them off for the day that's (laughs) did they uh did they did they um uh did they swallow their pride choke on the rides <laughs> that was um they that was their final song um and actually in, it was I should, also their first song i should also say in between this this uh good friend of mine who joe i think you've actually met him uh who got me the tickets he was there with us that night he uh-huh. informed me that each of these bands except for everclear i think they had a little more leeway but each of these bands were like you play x number of songs you play all the hits and then you get the fuck off the stage yeah, like it is in their contract specifically that like yeah. you don't get to like this is what you do. So Eve Six, you know they they were like, hey, we're here, all right, good night. Uh, Soul Asylum came on next, and I have rarely seen a band that was an actual band just so clearly be like, all right, let's shoot this fucker and just just get on. And like they all hated each other, you could tell. Like they just were like, all right, we're gonna do our thing, and uh, how many more? Two, all right, right, fine, fuck it, whatever. To the point where during one song, I cannot tell you which one, but. The lead, the lead of the of the band, who I'm sure one of you will tell me who it is, looked at the drummer and was like trying to make some hand motions, like "Can you play it like this?" And the drummer was this huge dude who just looked at him and just kept drumming and had a look on his face, like "I ain't changing nothing, you son of a bitch." Like <laughs> I am contracted to do these four wow. songs and fuck you. So so they leave and then um, did they play their version of Sexual Healing from the No Alternative compilation? They did not. They they did not. Because I actually always liked that. Uh, that cover but anyway go on this was not an evening for that obscure song you like by them this was like if you heard it on the radio that's what you're going to hear and good night um so then everclear comes on and not only did they have the audacity to start with an acapella version of uh i think it's santa monica the breakers song yeah so they start with that but the lead singer of everclear um paul are you familiar with metalocalypse joe i know you are yeah no taylor we watched Wait, wait, wait! No, no, no. We what was we? It wasn't Metalocalypse, but that other movie by the Metalocalypse people. What was it called, Taylor? Uh, or Heavy you... Metal, the movie? No, okay, okay, okay. Sorry, <laughs> I just totally got confused. <laughs> I uh, I mean, I we passed out yesterday. My brain is <laughs> there's a lot anyway, of metal. There's a lot of metal. <laughs> Actually, Paul, here's the thing. You're right. We did watch Heavy Metal. That has nothing to do with Metalocalypse. It's the Adult Swim. Okay. Show. All right. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, I know about. You you showed me you showed me episodes of Metalocalypse. I know right. the show. But Joe, do you remember the episode where it's like the guy who's decided to make metal sober? Yes. And he's like, "Hey man, we can still rock, and we're not going to drink. It's going to be great." And it's like the worst thing that ever happened to metal. Yeah. That was the energy of the lead singer of Everclear. He's just like, "Hey man, we're all here. <laughs> we're gonna have a great time. It's so great that you're all here." And it was just like, "Oh God, all these poor bands have to tour with that guy." And yeah. for him, it was just like the 90s never stopped, which look, hey, if you can pull that off, great. Um, there's not many bands that can. And his positive energy was just like the most annoying fucking thing you can imagine. Um, 
And I'm just so glad I didn't pay for it. I'm glad I went. But if I had paid even 20 bucks, I would have been a lot more drunk that night. I'm just telling you. Um, <laughs> which is all my leeway into saying, not a big fan of Local God. I think it's a weaker song in the soundtrack. But um, Paul, it's your favorite Everclear song. So go for it. Yeah. I mean, well, that's uh, faint praise. <laughs> I don't like any Everclear songs. Um, but I don't know. I just like the... Uh... I like the uh, the lyrics are just cool. I don't know. And it's, you know, Everclear kind of does the same song over and over. And uh, this particular version uh, works well. Hold on. You don't like any yeah. any Everclear songs? I don't hate them. Like but Santa I, Monica. I got sick of every single one of them after the fifth time I listened All to right, it. All right. That's fair. Should we talk yeah. about um, <laughs> Should we talk about the Romeo Juliet soundtrack? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Because okay. first of all, there are a lot of great songs. There's also, uh, I don't know which one we want to play, but we have to talk about the Cardigans Love Fool, which is, to me, one of my favorite guilty pleasure uh, saccharine pop songs in the world. I don't know how you all feel about it. No, that. It's, it's... I would yeah. agree with that, yes. I mean, it's a beautifully written and performed song. By the way, written, yeah. written in an airport while the lead singer was just waiting for a plane that was delayed. Huh. So it's a song about an airplane, really. <laughs> no, she she later was just like, yeah, the best songs are written the are the easiest because you just are like, yeah, whatever, here you go. I don't think not much will come of this. And it was like number two on the charts for like three weeks. And everyone knows I it. I mean, it's insanely catchy. It, it really is. Um, and I have no problem with that. Love that song. And I, I would also say overall, this, this entire soundtrack not only fits the mood of the 90s, but it it captures the spirit of the film perfectly. And as opposed to Lost Highway, I feel like love or hate Romeo and Juliet, like that is exactly the movie they wanted it to be. Like there is nothing about the movie that is not intentional. That is not like they, they did exactly what they wanted to do. And I, I cannot think that's the same thing for Lost Highway. I think even David Lynch has admitted like, yeah, I just wanted to film a bunch of scenes that I always had ideas for. Like that is Baz Luhrmann's most complete film. Love it or hate it. It is with a bow on it. Exactly that version of, of Shakespeare and that version of teenage angst. And the soundtrack is just a perfect compliment to it. Hmm. Yeah. It's a great soundtrack for sure. I actually, to, to be honest, I have never seen this version of Romeo and Juliet, <laughs> which is my fault. It's crazy. I know it was big. Uh, I would say I think... let's play talk show host. Maybe. Yeah. All right. Let's do All it. All right. That's a great song. I want to be someone else so I'll explode Floating upon the surface for the bird So that song uh, introduces Romeo in the film and Paul, this will mean nothing to you. You haven't seen it, but Joe, for me, I hear that song and I'm instantly in that part of the film. Like mm. it's, it's him sitting on the beach, overcast skies. Like you were just instantly there. And I think anytime film and song merge that the second you hear it, you're there, it, they've achieved something for better or for worse. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's kind of, um, that is one of the cool things about all these soundtracks is that 
um, a lot of them were large. They weren't just, um, at least the ones we talked about so far, they weren't just like, let's just throw a bunch of the most popular artists on this. They seem to have really, uh, you know, found ways to incorporate them that it made both music and film uh, better, or at least drew something out of both, both that was worth seeing or hearing. Um, Yeah. uh, And uh, yeah. And it helps a talk show host is just a fucking brilliant song. It is so good. And I have never seen it. I don't have any of this association you have with it, which is interesting to hear that that's what it brings up for you. But, um, you know, it's uh, known as sort of Radiohead's foray into trip hop, which was big, like exactly at this time. And uh, it speaks to how good they are that they could do one song in that genre and just own it and uh, then sort of move on. And a a little bit of trivia here. Um, And then, so this is also my uh, excuse to lodge a complaint against the Radiohead uh, fantasy baseball draft and two songs you didn't pick, (laughs) but uh, so exit music played over in credits was directly inspired by this film. Baz Luhrmann sent 20 minutes of footage to Tom York who composed exit music and then said, you can use it for the end credits, but don't credit it on the soundtrack. Don't put it in the soundtrack. And Baz Luhrmann said yes. And then, so instead they got talk show hosts. So it's just, it's interesting that exit music played over a film if you don't know the connection, you're never going to get that like, oh, it's on, like, is it just like a theoretical film on OK Computer? But no, it's a real movie. Um, yeah. And my com- and it's, and, it, and the lyrics are, are Tom's imagined version where they say, fuck it and kill their parents and live together. Um, I, so. I, are you sure? I feel like you yeah. said that before. That's what I recall. Listen to the lyrics. It, it fits. Hold on. <laughs> stop everything it's not exactly happy um, but um it's it's a it's an alternate ending to romeo and juliet for sure is it when they say breathe keep breathing don't lose your nerve breathe keep breathing i can't do this alone is it not like it could be one person watching another person die no no that's that's them like working up the nerve to escape or do whatever they need to do so that now we are one in everlasting peace that's not when they are like both dead that's according to, I guess you could interpret it many ways. And I've, as we've discussed, I support that. Uh, but um, my understanding is that Tom wrote it to be an alternate. Industry. Okay. All right. I, I believe you. And I will, I will <laughs> support that. I actually feel like the song, the song supports that. So even like the mood of the song. Yeah. Um, and you sons of it. bitches did not pick electioneering or down is the new up on either of your lists and those are like in my top five of all time and i know that's the point of this but to hell with both of you i'm just (laughs) electioneering is is hard i don't know i feel like i i I always forget about it i mean it's a fucking cool song good it's so good it's uh it's actually famous for being the song that the band itself hates the most from okay computer Mm -hmm. um but uh, I like it. I think it's a good song. Um, it may sorry, just be my come... it may just be my fate to love songs that bands hate. Uh, <laughs> Maybe. <perfect drug. laughs> Maybe. Um, I think uh, they they seem to be embarrassed by their formerly more in your face satirical type songs, which that one definitely is. Um, again, I think it's a good song. That's true. That's true. Uh, I guess I would say the lyrics, but just the sound is so unique that I don't care. 
Um, but yeah. fair enough. I mean, that's that's fair. My my brother in law yeah. has produced is an artist and produced a lot of really great art that was like painting and canvas stuff that he now despises, but his family loves because a it's you know we think it's objectively good and they're like oh look you made this and he's like please please take that down I don't I don't want to see that so you know <laughs> and, and and that's like not that's like a legitimate like he is a legitimate artist it's what he does for a living and wow the phrase legitimate artist is so loaded but the point is he's a professional it's what he does for a living and for him to be like yeah I, I please don't you know like I, I I don't consider that my work anymore so if Tom York wants to say that about a song that I love fair enough I'm still gonna listen to it but fair enough yeah legitimate artist well, is that's the alternate name for this podcast yeah, absolutely <laughs> maybe illegitimate artists mm. actually would be even better um cocktail now no i mean artists are are actually very often terrible judges of their own work so whatever um i, I know we, yeah and then uh, we also have to give you props in passing for having a an obscure b-side as one of your favorite radio oh, it's so good well that done. that song is like i just i feel like the whole world is when i listen to that song i just see a camera where the whole world is upside down and like only one guy realizes it it's like everything's underwater and he's like what's going on everyone's like no this is fine everything's fine um that's what goes on in my <laughs> head during that song and i love it nice i like it um it is a good song um all right what joe oh so, no you 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 make the transition paul <laughs> uh, i was just gonna say uh we probably won't play a sample from it but the uh, butthole surfers whatever i had a dream uh which is a totally fucking awesome song was the last one we had on our list from the soundtrack um, yes creepy um t- actually takes it, lyrics from the movie but not in a stupid way it all works mm-hmm. and the the guitar solo is excellent i love any sort of like tetchy uh uh atonal guitar solo like that um it just really goes in a nice way from starting out kind of slow and tense to uh really losing its mind um which you would expect no less from a band that pees on each other on stage and by the way narrowly beating out uh both number one crush and young hearts run free also very good songs but if i had to rank them i would put uh, i had a dream above it so there you go yeah um someday someday we'll have the ultimate 90s film soundtrack draft fantasy draft oh there we go i'm I'm in i'm there anyway taylor will crush us at that one that's true Um, yeah Anyway, um, all right, so now we have that most 90s of film franchises, uh, despite its success in the aughts, the, uh, the soundtracks for the two Joel Schumacher Batman movies. Oh, yes. And, you know, earlier Joe... Joel Schumacher saying, is history's greatest criminal. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, that joke was hilarious for years, literally years, until Batman Begins, and then it was just sort of like, eh, who cares? You know, like, because the part of the, he was history's greatest monster because, oh my God, he killed Batman. There's not going to be any more Batman. We'll all be dead before there's another Batman movie. And that was never true. Yeah. That was never true. If you gave me a time machine to go back in time and kill baby Hitler, I would change the date and go back in time and kill baby Joel Schumacher. That's, I mean, I think a lot of chaos theory would support that probably being just as beneficial. (laughs) (laughs) I do not condone anything of what just happened. Anyway, um, where I was trying to go with this is, uh, is Joe, and earlier you were saying, like, all these soundtracks we talked about, they're not just, like, crass commercial tie-ins. They're actually, you know, good bands, and it's all related to the film. And here we are with the crass commercial tie-ins, um, which they are, 
but nevertheless, um, certainly this first soundtrack, Batman Forever, was very important to me in my teenage years. I don't know if it's just because it's the first soundtrack like I owned, but I listened this disc into the ground. Um, mm. And uh, I think also that there's a there's a theory um, put forth by Roger Ebert about film, but I feel like it, it can be true with music where um, when he talks about trailers and he says that like, if a trailer gives away too much, it's the equivalent of eating like a sample at Costco. And what he means by that is that, you know, you can smell food, you can, you can look at it, you can do all these things, but once you eat it, the only difference between eating a sample and eating the whole thing is the experience of eating the whole thing. Otherwise, once you have tasted that sample, you have, a, you, that is everything. You've smelled it, you've felt it, you've, you've experienced it, it's now in, that's it. And where I'm going with this, because it seems like where you're going with this, is Smash It Up by The Offspring. When I first heard this, this song on this album, I loved it, and I, you know, I was like, hey, let's, let's get more Offspring. And if you enjoyed Smash It Up, you'll enjoy every other song Offspring has made, because they are all pretty much the same. I kind of don't care. It's a lot of fun, but there's a, you can just buy the greatest hits and you're fine, right? Like, mm-hmm. And I feel like this song was a perfect be like, if you like this, you'll love everything else we do. It's all the same. So is this the same as the song Smash from the end of their album no, Smash? Or is this no, this, this is, is actually a cover. Of a, of, oh, of the, okay. uh, by a song by The Damned. Uh, I don't know who they oh. are, but I had to look it up. Um, but it's telling that I had to read that to know it was not a typical Offspring song because everything about it was like, yeah, this is what Offspring does, right? This is, you know, this is their thing. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. Paul <laughs> saying a lot by saying, yeah, this time for real. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, yeah. The Offspring, they keep coming back on this podcast. Uh, they do. One way or another. They do. Um, um well so wait so what this uh, sorry, i this pot so i i think the batman forever soundtrack to me is memorable for the fact that uh the u2 song on it is pretty terrible and mtv played the video nonstop, and i had nothing else to do back then but watch mtv so i i just in, in some ways can't I don't know. I think it may have been like, I think it may actually have ruined all other U2 songs for me a little bit. Um, and you know, Joel, well, that's what Joel Schumacher is actually is history's greatest monster. Cause he's partially responsible for that song and everything else. Would you like to know why I do? Oh man. <laughs> I'd, I would like to know more. So, uh, I'm going to, risks mispronouncing his name but i it's way too late i do not care uh bono mm-hmm. okay yes all right that's it hooray bono uh is apparently friends with joel schumacher and he was supposed to cameo as mcfisto now i am a huge batman fan i do not know who that is i i don't know if joel schumacher made him up and obviously i was too bored to google it maybe one of you two can but he was supposed to be mcfisto and he was supposed to appear in a party scene and it was supposed to be this great cameo and in in a rare Wait, no 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 this was actually that was actually a Bono character that he played on U two tours I believe oh god it's much worse then all right so oh. Mephisto was supposed yeah. to cameo in a party scene in Batman Forever and in a rare use of um, discretion on Joel Schumacher's part he said you know 
maybe not this time. And Bono was like, really? And it's like, yeah, maybe not. Like, all right. But you know what? Um, here's this song for the soundtrack instead. We weren't planning on it, but here you go. And that's uh, that's why your childhood was ruined, I guess, Joe? I don't know. Yeah. But, uh... well, yeah. One of many reasons, but yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So you all need to go look up pictures of Macfisto and videos of Bono being Macfisto because it's like this... Uh, like, it's... <laughs> Let me read. Let me read some of this. I just to you this is just. Fucking awesome. I just keep picturing a character that Mac from "It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia" is playing. <laughs> Mac Fisto. <laughs> totally plausible. Um, fucking uh, mobile Wikipedia makes it hard to find in page. Um, hold on. Talk amongst yourselves for just a second. I don't know. Anyway, he was. He was this ridiculous like upper English class nobleman who was also the devil and it was like some sort of social commentary political thing Bono was doing and he would like put on this outfit and these sunglasses and like pale makeup and come out and be Macfisto on the tour. Oh shit. Uh, it's parts of the show. The worst part is it's spelled M A a capital M A C capital P H I S T O. Yes. Named after Mephistopheles. <laughs> Oh yes! Again, it may be the yeah. only time Joel Schumacher ever had restraint in his life to be like, you know what? Maybe not. Yeah. Wow. People would have lost their shit if uh, if they inserted some random character who was not even part of Batman into the movie as a as a villain. That would have been. You know, I, if if that happened yeah. now, people would actually oh, yeah. burn down theaters. Oh, that that's a hundred percent correct. That's a hundred. <laughs> the images correct. are awesome. I mean, of him, I actually am kind of disappointed. I mean, it's not like I, these movies were great treasures anyway. That's true. I, I wish there'd been five minutes of breakfast, though. <laughs> so uh... maybe. Val Kilmer could have gone to a, McFi- a Bono concert and seen McFisto play. I, guys, you're missing you're missing the real highlight, which would be Jim Carrey, like doing shit with Bono, and then Tommy Lee Jones shows up, doing whatever he's doing, and then um, Nicole Kidman. I don't know. Like, <laughs> oh man, that's awesome. so. Were these right. were these Batman soundtracks? Because are are we talking about Batman Forever and Batman? Well, I, I, I yeah. want to get to, I do feel like they're a little different, not in terms of the cynical strategy, but in terms of the results. Okay. Um, and, and the reason I'm going to say that, I'll, I'll make this very quick. There's a lot of legitimately great artists that I was introduced to on the Batman Forever soundtrack. It's not any of their best work, but The Flaming Lips, Nick Cave, yeah. Massive yeah. Attack, um, The Offspring, yeah. which I know go back and forth, but like there's a reason they, they do what they do. Um, and... You know, I, whether it matches the film's mood or not, it you know, which whatever, whatever mood that film has, like that was a great portal to be like, this is what all these artists can do. Um, and then, of course, there's the gorilla in the room, which is Kiss from a Rose, which is like, if you go down the list of songs in the 90s, that has to be on the top 10. Not because it's good for the top 10, but like you play that song, you are in the 90s. Like oh, right yeah. there. Yeah. That is that is uh, absolutely one of the soundtracks sound top. If you made a soundtrack of the '90s, that would be on there for sure. And that song also prompted a lot of people to learn the rules, uh, even for a brief period of time, and then they forgot them again about the Academy Awards. Because with both this song and Gangster's Paradise, everyone's like, "How the hell is this not up for best song? Like, that's the best part of the fucking movie. Both of these movies is is this song." 
And they're like, oh, it came out an album before. So it's not eligible, uh, like that little loophole. Because uh, everyone, this song came out on a Seal album before, which wasn't selling very well. The soundtrack came out, video came out, huge hit. And everyone's like, clearly this is the song of the year, for the, as far as the Oscars are concerned. It's like, well, eh, that's a problem. Eh, not so much. So we just had to win three and, Grammys instead. And that's why Seal eventually won an Academy Award for Hamlet. Did he? I didn't know that. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he could have been on the Kenneth Branagh Hamlet for all I knew. Um, you would have. You would have heard. Which is you would have heard. Yeah. <laughs> Even you, we, Paul, would have. Well, heard. see, we, if if Seal had ever played Hamlet, we all would have watched it like together. I, oh yeah, absolutely. Said. I thought you meant like the, there was an adaptation of Hamlet for which he produced a song that did win an Academy Award. Never mind. Um, <laughs> and by the way, this this uh, Kiss from a Rose by far the highest selling song of any we've spoken about tonight. Number two is really upsetting. We're not there yet, but number one is Kiss from a Rose, which I have no problem with. I understand why that was like sold over a million records. Like, not a. Is number two Celine Dion on the Titanic soundtrack? Uh, we. I'm not saying we're talking about that, but that's probably number one. No, I'm just talking of the songs we're specifically singling out tonight. Oh, Kiss oh, from oh, a Rose is by far the number one. Oh, okay, I see. Um, yeah. So was. So the one other anecdote I know about Seal on 90s soundtracks is that um, supposedly he was supposed to contribute the theme song to Space Jam. <laughs> and Michael Jordan was like, nah, R. Kelly's my dude. So they kicked Seal off and gave uh, and had R. Kelly do I Believe I Can Fly on the Space Jam soundtrack. I, instead. I hope Actually, that's true. Seal is on the Space Jam soundtrack. But, okay, well then they made they made the R. Kelly the R. Kelly song the you know lead single or whatever on account of that. That whatever. is accurate. Yes, that's what I heard. Uh, Seal instead does "Time Keeps on Slipping" into the future. I don't I don't know if that's the actual name of the song or not. But um, mm. by the way, Space Jam is number six of the greatest selling soundtracks of all time. Mm. And that R. Kelly song really blows. <laughs> not as much as the one we're going to talk about later. But <laughs> okay. Can we talk about um, it now? Right. Is it too? Can we talk about it now, or is it? Well, I yeah. Well, this, well here's the thing. Good, do you want to end on that, or do you want to end on "In Is the Beginning Is the End"? Is the beginning. Let's do R. Kelly now, and then we'll talk about good music at the end. I think that's a great idea. Shall, All right. Let's let's play a little R. Kelly. Oh yeah. Just to get me in the right, right. frame of mind. Okay. <laughs>
Um, wow, what a shit song. So, um, so Paul, you, you know, you didn't listen to the whole thing, and that's fine. Because here's the thing. Uh-huh. There is two... God, it's so late, I'm losing my words. What's the... All right, so there's chorus, and what's the other... It like goes something, chorus, verse, something. Thank verse, you. Cor- yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So this song, <laughs> this fucking 600,000 copies selling song, has two verses... And it goes on for five minutes, I guess two and a half, technically yeah. two and a half. And the rest of it is just this chorus that just keeps fucking repeating. And this is not La Bamba. This is not something where it's like the catchiest chorus of all time. So let's just keep going back to it. The chorus is, I swear to God, a city of justice, a city of love, a city of peace for every one of us. We all need it. Can't live without it. A Gotham City. Yeah. there is Gotham I... City in no version of Batman <laughs> is that. Ever. <laughs> Ever. Also, like, it was so anticlimactic, I didn't, I wasn't sure that it was the chorus as it was happening when I just listened to well, it just now. And Paul, the only way you would know is to listen to the whole song where he just repeats it seven times. Seven. Oh, he God. just, it's, you know, here's the thing about Kiss from a Rose. Love it or hate it, that is a perfect pop song because it's a beautiful chorus. And the whole song is yeah. about two and a half minutes, right? Like, maybe three. And, and it has three verses and it goes back and forth. Gotham City, it's twice as long. And the chorus has nothing to do, not only with this Batman movie, but any Batman movie ever. It is just this like platitude of like, wouldn't it be great if we lived here and now we live there? No, no, we, we don't. We never did. I just hate it so much. <laughs> I just hate it so much. As you should. It's, I don't know why they thought like, we'll have R. Kelly do some Peebo Bryson adult contemporary bullshit and that'll be the fucking Batman soundtrack theme. But um, but that's emblematic. It that worked. Bad. The reason they did it is because it they sold six hundred thousand copies of it. Well I, I that's just because it was on Batman. Well, but actually, so you're both right. And what I mean by that is um in researching so this album did uh for a Batman soundtrack compared to Batman Forever very poorly. It sold about a third of the records Batman Forever did. Um Yeah. And you might think it's because of the movie, which was terrible. I mean, I love it as camp, but it's a terrible movie, obviously. But the problem is that if the first soundtrack was cynical, the second was much, much more cynical because at least the first Batman Forever, like the songs more or less fit the mood of the movie, even if they're very all over the place. But like there's a jewel track on the soundtrack that's never played in the movie that fits nothing in the film. (laughs) There's an R.E.M. song that's never played in the movie that makes no sense why it's there. The whole soundtrack is just the most like, yeah, kids like that. Like, let's just put that on there Um, to songs that not only don't fit the movie, but don't fit Batman either. They make it just the whole thing is makes no sense. Yeah, that was my impression of where soundtracks came to be by the end of the 90s. Um, Maybe I'm more cynical about it than I should be. No, I think you're that is not cynical at all. I feel like that's that's where it ended up as they dealt with. They ended up at, I mean, all such, the music industry was just in, headed toward disaster and soundtracks were not <laughs> spared. And the, I, w- I would say, Paul, your timeline's a bit off, but the result is exactly the same. Because, for instance, Lost Highway comes out after Batman and Robin. Batman and Robin's 1996, Lost Highway's 1997, uh, but Batman and Robin is where it was heading and where it definitely ended up. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure, you know, there are different levels of it at different times with different types of artists but yeah um so yeah we should talk about the one good song two uh two yes it's a back-to-back uh pairing which um uh 
is the Smashing Pumpkins, the end is the beginning is the end, the beginning is the end is the beginning. Which, I spent many, many a fruitless trip to the CD store trying to find a copy of this single when I was in high school. Ah, but the reason you didn't find it is because I was the one who went to Park Avenue Records and bought bought it. (laughs) Probably. Wait, wait, I remember this. It's like you can always find the remixes, but never the single, right? Yes. Yeah. Totally true. Totally true. The single, the remixes were always there and not very good. Oh, they're real bad. Uh, so one of the first things I did when I went to college was I signed up for an eBay account and bought this from some dude in like Malaysia. <laughs> awesome. Hundred percent authentic, I'm sure. Um, yeah, no, it it had the music. So, do we want to play it and then talk about it, or talk about it and then play it? Let's just talk about it. We're we're running up on our our time. That's and that's all fair. Of us know this song. That's fair. It's good. Um, yeah. So, and is the beginning is Grammy winning. Um, yeah, it is the first release with Matt Walker, I guess, after Jimmy got kicked out. Yes. Yes. Um, uh, Matt Walker is, is, is in the video for it where they're all drumming and playing weird cyber rock instruments. And, um, <laughs> clearly both songs were written without them seeing any footage from the movie because they would have known that it, it does not fit the movie at all. But, you know, on the other hand, the movie's garbage, so why not? Um, he, he, I read some interview somewhere where he said it was meant to represent Batman from the 40s when the character was darker. I, I'm not sure if uh, Billy missed the 80s when Batman was unquestionably the darkest, but still, fair enough. <laughs> um, I would actually say that I feel like, I think Beginning is the End is the Beginning is the Batman song and End is the Beginning is the villain song. Um, that's how I interpret it. Because if you think about it, like Batman's world is very dark and it's moody and it's not energetic. It's more like a grim determination to do what he feels is the right thing. Whereas into the beginning is definitely like the Joker's breaking shit, you know, penguin stealing stuff. It's into the world and I feel great. You know, the sewers belch me out. That's that's how I interpret it. Yeah, man. It's so good. It's so good. Yeah, it's I mean, it's kind of like that was this song came out at the smashing pumpkins peak um in terms of popularity and Mm -hmm. they really uh i don't know well i man sorry as usual 10 smashing pumpkins thoughts collided in my brain at once um (laughs) um but i will say that this was kind of like this was a song that um showed what the smashing pumpkins might have sounded like if the after melancholy they had made another rock album uh, instead of making a door and so it's actually kind of an interesting little fragment of smashing pumpkins history um uh in that regard um and uh yeah i don't i don't know I just assume it has nothing to do with Batman. Uh, he he says it does. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah but, he does. But like I like oh I mean I mean maybe I should say I just assume it has zero to do with the movie. Oh, a hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. I would also, in, in terms of adding to that little bit of trivia, the other quote I found that was interesting is he said, "It's probably what you're going to hear from us in the future in terms of the guitars and everything." Yeah, not true because the door came out That's next, the same. but. <laughs> Yeah. Can we also, just li- go ahead? Go ahead. No, you go ahead. <laughs> um, and fi- last bit of last bit of random weird ass trivia, and then I'm I am out of all my information. Um, so beginning is the end is the beginning was featured on the Watchmen trailer, which caused a huge spike in digital sales because all these people had no idea what the song was because it you know came out ten years earlier. 
weird random thing. If you are to go online to purchase either of these songs, you can purchase Beginning is the End off the, like the Smashing Pumpkins, Rarities, and B-Sides digital vault. You can only get In is the Beginning is the End if you buy the entire Batman and Robin soundtrack. Oh, that's a steep price. Which I did pay <laughs> to prepare for this. So now I wow. I own Gotham City forever. But um, it was also one of these things where I kept being like, I have Beginning, why don't I have End? And I realized like five years ago, I had done this search and been like, oh, I'm not paying for the whole fucking album. And you know, five years later, it's like, all right, fine. Here, take we, my money. We appreciate your, your sacrifice. Can we talk about how fucking terrible this movie is? I mean, let's just, I know that that's, everyone thinks that, but like, I think this movie might be the first time, one of the first times that a movie that like my teenage self expected to be really fucking cool was just awful. Doesn't Todd have the best I, anecdote about this, right? No, go for it. He was. An, I have actually never seen this. Oh movie. my god! So, so actually, Paul, Paul, I will say this: um, if you were to ingest uh, a spliff that doesn't make you pass out, and as your attorney, <laughs> I, I wouldn't recommend it. But I'm just saying. Um, I will say, Batman and Robin, while on some kind of legal or not intoxicant is hilarious because it is just so fucking bad and so expensive and yet cheap at the same time. And every single line Arnold says is a pun. Every single one for the whole fucking movie. Excellent. Um, I think, I think the ideal way to enjoy this movie is probably to sit down and watch it with Ted. So you can laugh at how mad Ted is at how much he hates this movie. I agree. But, uh, all right. Sorry. Yes, absolutely. Down. Especially if you make Ted pay for it and he doesn't realize he's paying yeah. for it. But so everybody, this is our other high school friend Ted we're talking about. He hates bad movies. But uh Todd, Todd's story was he was in the theater and it's this movie is not only bad, but way too long. I think it's like two hours and ten minutes. So at the two hour mark, apparently some young kid just says out loud in the theater, How long is this movie? <laughs> and people just start losing it and then they just start getting up and leaving before the end because it's just like from the mouth of babes he's right like why are we all here <laughs> that's awesome uh, that's really good that kid is a hero i i would also say like as i wouldn't put on the same list as like battlefield earth or the spirit or um, jupiter ascending which came out last year and easily made my top but, 10 worst of all time only because like it is it's such a weird bizarre it's so gay it's just it's so campy and just like <laughs> hiding in plain sight and just it to watch it is like an artifact of, of a time where like p- people had to hide in plain sight in franchises that really had nothing to do with what actually was going on it's just like wow yeah wait are you saying that batman and robin is like a gay masterpiece i'm saying that uma thurman who is very much a woman plays poison ivy as if she is a drag queen that 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 is more the level of what is going on if you were to watch it again sober or not just the colors the leather fetish that like there's just so much shit going on that is so Liberace of the 90s like just kind of hiding in plain sight and if you watch Batman Forever which I actually I kind of have a soft spot for I actually enjoy it more than Batman Returns it's kind of my guilty pleasure my love fool of the film world um there's a little bit of influence there but it's also trying to be a little dark but not as dark but Matt Ben and Robin they just go for it 
and I don't even mean it, not even the old joke of like, oh, Batman and Robin, they're in a relationship. It's not even that. If you just look at everything else, the, it, the second you're looking for it, you will see it just everywhere. Everywhere. Okay, so that's what you mean, is that yeah. it's actually as if it were a piece of sort of gay camp, uh, like Rocky Horror Picture Show type stuff. Yeah, it's like, what if Bride of Frankenstein, which I would also classify as something hiding in plain sight, but that's a very good movie. Like, what if that had an $80 million was designed to sell toys and was terrible, but basically the same thing. Okay. This is a fascinating new take on Batman and yeah. Robin. That I, but I hey, end is the beginning is the end is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe we should just end on that. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So um, I had one thing to bring up, which is when did soundtracks stop being a thing? Because... I feel like nobody cares about movie soundtracks anymore, largely because nobody buys music at all anymore. Um, I would say uh, with... I was thinking the last one I can remember is the Garden State soundtrack being big. Oh, that was a thing. You're right. That Zach, was Zach Braff's thing. excuse to release his personal mixtape. See, yes. I, I, here's the thing, Paul. I, I, I would say in terms of a soundtrack that was a big hit, yes. But in terms of the last soundtrack that was actually very important to me, um, was the Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist soundtrack, um, hmm. which I'm sure you have not seen. Joe, I know you did see. Um, I, I think it's an underappreciated uh, teenage comedy. But on that album, I discovered White Rabbits. I discovered We Are Scientists. I discovered um, Middle... Shit. I can't remember. Middle something. Oh, no, Bishop Allen. I'm sorry. Bishop Allen, the song is Middle Management. Uh, that's how I first heard of Vampire Weekend. All those artists were on that album, mm-hmm. and it's all good tracks from all those artists. Also, the Real Tuesday Weld. Um, now I'm blanking on the rest, but still, that is the, I bought all their albums because of that soundtrack. So I, I think it can still be a thing. It's more, you know, you're not going to drive in the car and listen to that album. You're going to like mean, maybe find it, listen to the movie. I don't well, know. actually, I mean, you know, it's a soundtrack could still break through. It's like the. Um, uh, the soundtrack to Guardians of the Galaxy was the number one selling album in the oh, country for eleven weeks. Uh, that's true. So you know, there of course that's less of a that's not a bunch of songs written for the movie. That's again like an eighties mixtape. Yeah. Um, but and then you know even throughout the two thousands, um, uh, the Twilight soundtracks actually had a lot of original music written for them good music um, I, too uh so you know i think it was it's still possible but i just i feel like the idea that every big movie has um a big soundtrack died at at the end of some sometime but died with the 90s i think what it evolved to is that a lot of times with these big movies they just like we just need an artist to get like one song to help promote the film uh, that's like Despicable Me 2 had Happy, which was everywhere and nominated for an Academy Award. Uh, Zootopia had that Shakira song. Um, I feel like that's what they do now. It's like, let's just get one song to help promote the thing. We don't need nine other ones. We just need one. Yeah. And I mean, it's sort of, I mean, it also at the time, I mean, it was a, it used to be a huge vehicle for the artists. I mean, to, well, I mean, where they get end up selling 500,000 copies of a song. And uh, now that incentive is is kind of gone. I don't know. I mean, does wait? Does like Captain America: Civil War? It must have a soundtrack. Technically, Iron Man three and Avengers do. And the only reason I know that is that I bought the um, 
combo pack that was like, you also get the soundtracks. I'm like, oh, okay. You know, like Iron Man 3 had like Imagine Dragons and Avengers had like Bush on it for some reason. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- th- all these soundtracks are terrible, but they still they still exist. I assume someone is buying them or they're giving well, see, them away for free. Like or, Civil, Civil War does not have a soundtrack. It just has the score. Hmm. So it's like... I that's I guess that's sort of what I mean. It's like sometimes they exist, but like a lot of times they they're not. It's like not even worth the money for right. them to do it. Um, to to come full is, circle a little bit, I, I think it really does bring you back to Titanic, right? Because people bought that soundtrack to listen to that song because it's like, well, what other choice do I have? And maybe people bought Batman Forever just to get the Seal song, and now obviously you don't have to do that at all. Right. True. Um, all right. Well, I think we have said uh, everything that can possibly be said about 90s soundtracks um, before we uh, pass out on the ground. Um, oh, so... man, it's like three in the morning here. <laughs> Oof, I'm going to be rough tomorrow. <laughs> just just tell your wife it was so you could talk to your friends on the phone. She'll oh, she knows. <laughs> oh, she knows. It's, it's, it's Oliver's turn to take care of you, Taylor. <laughs> Uh, all right well thanks everybody uh this has been the savage beast podcast with our friend taylor j sean attorney at law uh you can find him sorry not no go on okay you can find him on twitter at what is your handle again i think it's um theater law justice tjs i I think it's actually film law whatever Film law, there whatever. That's right. That's there right. Obviously, obviously, yeah. I tweet a lot, but <laughs> yeah. You can also find him by committing petty crimes in Brooklyn. Uh, in please, which case he may. Please, as your attorney, please do not. And if yeah. you do, just don't tell the cop. Don't tell the cops anything ever, ever. <laughs> That's like the best advice I can give. So many cases would be won if people didn't listen to the cops. The cops are like, yeah, just tell me what happened. It'll be fine. I'll work it out. Yeah, no, no, no. You say you did it. They got you. What if I explained that the reason I killed that baby is he's going to grow up to direct Batman and Robin? Hmm. Can we just play it as the beginning and we'll just <laughs> play us out? I have yes. no answer to that. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, check us out at, at Savage Beast Pod on Twitter, savagebeastpod.com on the internet, and savagebeastpod at gmail.com. Please uh, uh, force your friends to listen to us, even though it makes them uncomfortable. Um, and rate us on iTunes and give us reviews and stuff so that we can uh, become rich mm-hmm. and famous. Mm-hmm. Internet famous. Yeah. No, real rich and famous. Oh. I won't stop until I'm more famous than R. Kelly. <laughs> Hopefully not for all the same reasons. <laughs> Good night. Uh... <laughs> the end is the beginning. Is the end. Is the end. <laughs> Is the beginning.